Hey, Woodlawn family, we hope you're doing great and we are looking forward to worshiping with you. In fact, we have some good news. We are ready to add another in-person worship opportunity. Many of you have responded to the survey we sent out last week, and it was extremely helpful in our planning for the rest of our 2020 schedule. Based on those results, we have decided to reopen our contemporary service for in-person worship on October 4th at 9.40 a.m. We are also exploring options for our traditional service, so stay tuned for those details in the near future. So to recap, we have two in-person worship opportunities available. Worship at the Water at our Sharkey's campus at 8.30 a.m. and our contemporary service at the Alf Coleman campus at 9.40 a.m. And as always, all three service types are available each week on our online campus. Visit woodlawnpcb.info for all the details. We love you and we can't wait to take this next step into our new normal. And please know, if you're not comfortable returning, please continue worshiping with us online. Your safety is our highest priority and we are working diligently to create worship experiences that are just as engaging and meaningful online as they are in person. However you decide to join us, we can't wait to worship together. Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you've joined us. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of hurricanes. I hope all of you fared well during the storm. I look forward to seeing you again. I've run into a few of you at Publix and around town, and we have a chance to chat together. But there's nothing quite like coming together and worshiping together. So I've got some good news. On October the 4th, we'll be beginning to do, in, on, uh, or not online, we're beginning to do in-person worship. See, I've been saying online so much, I don't even know how to say in-person. But that's what we're going to start doing on October the 4th. So watch for that. You'll hear more about it. And we'll look forward to getting together. Now, today I want to talk to you about the church, and there are probably only two people you can name who were crucified by the Romans in the first century. The first one, you know, was Jesus, but who was the other one? Can you believe it? It was Spartacus. 
Now, Spartacus was really a true person. In fact, he was a slave in Rome. He was famous because he led a slave rebellion, and that was so successful that it scared the people in Rome to death. It scared them because they had so many slaves that if they ever got organized and working together, they could overpower the Roman Empire. And so what they did was, since Spartacus was a gladiator, he led this slave rebellion that was almost successful. All the people who fought with him were crucified along a highway into Rome to remind everybody, hey, you don't mess with Rome. And the Roman historians made sure that the story of Spartacus was spread far and wide to scare any future rebellion of slaves in their country, and it pretty much worked. So people knew the name of Spartacus because the Roman leadership made sure that his story was told. In fact, they paid Roman historians to write about it so the message could get out. But now here's the real mystery. How in the world do you know the story of Jesus? Jesus was just a Jewish carpenter who was crucified by Rome. He, he was living in basically the armpit of the Roman Empire, which was Judea. How do we even know that name? Roman historians didn't write about him. Jewish historians didn't write about him. Nobody important wrote about him. But there were four accounts about his life. To know more about Jesus, but you and I know more about him than we do anything else. We don't know any of the Roman emperors like we do Jesus. How do we know so much? A good historian would ask the question, how is this guy named Jesus who came and lived and did some things, how is it possible that he is known by about a third of the world's population at that time? How was Jesus connected to God? And how did the Jesus movement get started anyway? Why did people pay any attention to it? The name of Jesus survived the first century. His teachings started a movement that survived Rome, and it captured the attention of one-third of the world's population. Here's exactly what happened. There was a guy named Luke who interviewed a bunch of people and together he wrote an orderly account, and he called it the book of Acts. They called it Acts because it was about the Acts of the Apostles. And so in this little book, there are eyewitnesses account of what happened when Jesus was crucified. Now, what started as a movement with only a little handful of people who believed that Jesus actually rose from the dead because they were eyewitnesses began to grow immensely. About 120 eyewitnesses start proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus and that he was raised from the dead. And the church got started when they began to preach and about 3,000 people who heard the message believed that day. Now, they didn't call them Christians back then. They called them people of the way. But about 3,000 followers of Christ believed that he was the Son of God because eyewitnesses told them so. The church was born in a movement, and there weren't any buildings at all. 
It was just a group of people, a small group of people who saw something. And they believed that something supernatural happened. And the reason the church survived the first century and the teachings of Jesus, it survived because something extraordinary happened, and that was the resurrection. You see, when somebody dies and is resurrected, that gets your attention. And the people who saw that said, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. And they began to tell other people. The church was a movement who had a simple mission. They wanted people to know that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and they wanted people to follow what he taught. That was a totally outwardly focused movement. They were just looking to tell other people about Jesus. But here's what happens. Even outwardly focused movements become inwardly focused movements very quickly. Churches make that transition rapidly. And in the first century, century, what they did was they loved each other and they shared with each other and they took care of each other. And the only thing that mattered was, hey, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he's the son of the living God and that he's alive today? Now, our our whole idea is to create a church of unchurched people who attend here, and they say, you know, I like those people. I get something out of that service when I go. It's good for me and my family. One of the ways, you know, whether or not a church is still on mission is this. It's how a church prays. That makes all the difference in the world. How a church prays indicates whether or not They have strayed, and you can count on that. Now, we're going to look at Acts, the fourth chapter. You can read about this. Just read Acts, the fourth chapter after this message, and together you can hear, and we're going to look at the first prayer that was ever prayed by the church. What happened is after those 3,000 people followed Jesus and gave their lives to him, a few days later, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. But now they are followers of Jesus. They're with them, and there's a conflict going on. Peter and John see a guy who has been not unable to walk since he was born. He's been lame. And so this guy is a beggar. And Peter and John go by, and the guy's holding his hands out because that's the only way he can make money. And they say, we don't have any money, but we have something better. Now, get up and walk. And this man who's been lame all of his life is suddenly able to stand up and walk. And everybody gathers around to see this man walking. They've all seen him as a beggar all their lives, and now he's able to walk. And Peter decides to stand up and preach a sermon right there, and it's in the temple. Now, Peter didn't have the authority to do that. The religious authorities were the only ones who could do that, but it didn't let him stop him. And he preaches this sermon, and he talks about this word, resurrection. And he's explaining to them about Jesus the Christ who was resurrected. And Luke tells us in the book of Acts that by the end of the day, over 5,000 men had become Christians. That's about 10% of the population in Jerusalem. And now they're turning their attention toward this newfound faith about Jesus rising from the dead. It just started with a handful of people, and now all of a sudden thousands of people are becoming followers. The people in charge of the temple say, hey, you can't be doing that. You can't be talking about that. And they throw Peter and John in jail for the night. 
And, and, you know, the people who were close to Peter and John were scared because it's only been two months since Jesus was crucified, and now they may lose Peter and John. The next morning, the authorities pull them out of jail, and the leaders of the temple say, Okay, now what is this you've been talking about? And Peter launches into another sermon about Jesus being the Son of God and about Him being raised from the dead. And he concludes his sermon in Acts 4, and he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you may be saved. You know, he's just been thrown in jail for saying that kind of thing, and he's already saying it all over again. And as he's talking to his audience, he said, God has done something miraculous among us here. He sent his son, and we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. There is no other name than Jesus who can do that. Now listen, did you know that there has never been another human being whose name was declared to be a means of salvation in all of time. It only happened once, and that was with Jesus. Well, this just really bugged the leaders of the temple, and they said, hey, listen, you know, we don't know what to do because these guys have healed this guy, and the whole crowd has seen that, and they want to punish them, but they're miracle workers. And so they have to let them go, and it goes on from there. And in Acts 4, it goes on and says, when they saw the courage, this is when the leadership of the, of the Jewish temple, when the people who were the authorities of the day, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, Ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, there was nothing they could say. In other words, these are just ordinary guys filled with the Spirit, and they're just proclaiming the gospel with boldness. And they're amazed at their ability and their intellect and what they're able to share. So they let them go, but they say, don't talk about Jesus and don't talk about the resurrection and quit telling everybody that we're the reason that Jesus was crucified. And Peter, who's just gotten out of jail, what does he say? He says, we cannot stop talking about what we have seen. You know, if you'd seen a resurrection, you couldn't quit talking about it either, could you? So they went out, Peter and John, they found the other disciples. Everybody was so elated to see them. They were together again. Now, how would you respond at this point? You and I, we'd probably say to them, now listen, guys, y'all need to tone it down. Be careful. You've already been put in jail. This is just two months after the, res after the crucifixion. You know, if we're not careful, they're going to kill you. You just barely got escaped from jail. And now you're trying to do something that just shouldn't be done. You need to tone it down. Be careful. We're going to pray for you. But what did they pray? They said, and this is from Acts, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, we know that you're the one true God that created the universe, and we're praying to the sovereign Lord. And then they said, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
And then they go on and share a passage about the Messiah. And, and it's there quoted again in Acts. It says, Why do nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Now that's an Old Testament prophet prophecy that they're sharing again in Acts. And the anointed one is Jesus. And then they bring it into context and they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. In other words, here's what you need to know if you're new to Bible study. This was written a couple of months after the events of the resurrection happened. And God, you predicted these kind of things were going to happen. And sure enough, they've happened right here in our city. That Herod and Pontius Pilate rose up against your anointed one in this city. And then it says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, God, we know the only way that happened is because you allowed it to happen. And then they got to their prayer request, and this is what they prayed for. Now, Lord, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. In other words, instead of please protect Peter and John and the other disciples, what they're saying is just enable us, fill us up and enable us to speak your word with boldness. Speak with boldness? Isn't that what got thrown them in jail, thrown in jail for the first time? And yet that's what they're praying. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed and asked God to give you boldness? That's what disciples need. They need boldness to stand up for God and to share his message with the world. The message of Jesus, it got to the 21st century because the people in the first century prayed for boldness. And then they asked for something else even more extreme. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy Spirit servant, Jesus. They were asking that they would be able to go out into the community among the people that did not believe and that the world might see something in them that would draw those people to God. Uh, now, that, they would say that must have been an act of God. If you saw an act of God, you'd know it, wouldn't you? And so it was so important, especially if you're new to Bible study, the whole point of healing was not just for the people to get healed. The point of healing in the New Testament was so that people might come and say, tell me more about Jesus. Hey, this is something I've never seen before. I'm interested. You have my attention. I want to know the story of Jesus as well. And they prayed. Now, what would happen if you and I prayed like first century believers? What if we prayed, Lord, would you give us boldness to share your message. God, make us bolder. Give us opportunities. Stretch out your hand. Show us things we haven't seen before. And here's how it wraps up in Acts, the fourth chapter. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the words of God boldly. Then it says, all the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Along with boldness, I want you to notice this second thing that broke out. 
The Holy Spirit filled them. They were speaking boldly. And then they were filled with extreme generosity. The first century church, one of the first things that happened to them was that they had boldness and they were filled with extreme generosity. Now think about that. In our world today, what would happen if you and I asked God to fill us with boldness and extreme generosity? In a world that's fighting right now, in a world that's just at odds, in a place where the devil seems to have taken over in so many lives of people, what would happen if you and I prayed for boldness and extreme generosity? Man, that would show up in the world today, wouldn't it? So I want you to make that your prayer. I think God will answer that prayer if we'll pray it. And if you're a Christian, because those first century people prayed for boldness, that's how you became a Christian. And you can share it with the next generation. Lord, enable us to speak your word with boldness and extreme generosity so that the world will sit up and take notice and say, wait a minute now, there's something different about them. We want to have that same kind of spirit that they have. Would you pray that? I encourage you to. I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.